Hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. Each month, Chess Editor-in-Chief Dr. Peter Mazzone highlights key articles from the current issue of the journal to help clinicians stay informed about new research in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce this month's episode, here is Dr. Peter Mazzone. Thank you for tuning in to the Editor's Highlight Podcast for the November 2022 issue of the journal Chest. There's a great lineup of diverse content in this month's issue. Over the next 15 minutes, I'll provide a brief overview of key manuscripts published in each of our content areas. Starting with our chest infections content area, most clinical trial data has not supported the efficacy of convalescent plasma treatment for COVID-19. In this issue, Self and colleagues report the results of a multi-center, blinded, placebo-controlled, randomized clinical trial designed to determine if selected COVID-19 convalescent plasma with neutralizing anti-SARS-CoV-2 antibodies improves clinical status in adults hospitalized with COVID-19. 960 randomized patients were included in the primary analysis. Clinical status at 14 days did not differ between the convalescent plasma treatment and placebo groups in either the overall population or in those without endogenous antibodies. No secondary outcomes differed between the groups. These results suggest that convalescent plasma does not improve clinical outcomes in adults hospitalized with COVID-19, including those seronegative for anti-SARS-CoV-2 antibodies. Also in this section is an original research article exploring the use of a deep learning-based prediction model using chest x-rays for non-tuberculous mycobacterial pulmonary disease, and another evaluating neutrophil extracellular traps, local IL-8 expression, and cytotoxic T-lymphocyte response in the lungs of fatal COVID-19. On to our COPD content area. There's little evidence comparing the impact of single inhaler triple therapy to multiple inhaler triple therapy on treatment compliance, exacerbations, and other outcomes. In this issue, Alcazar Navarrete and colleagues report the results of an observational retrospective cohort study that identified 4,625 patients who initiated single or multiple inhaler triple therapy in the Spanish national healthcare system designed to determine if COPD patients initiating single inhaler triple therapy have improved compliance, fewer exacerbations, and lower healthcare resource utilization. At 12 months follow-up, those initiating single inhaler triple therapy had higher compliance with a hazard ratio of 1.37, reduced risk of exacerbation, hazard ratio of 0.68, and lower all-cause mortality risk, the hazard ratio of 0.67, as well as reduced healthcare resource use. These results suggest there's improved compliance and improved healthcare outcomes with the initiation of single inhaler triple therapy. Also in this section is a chest review of ventilation perfusion mismatching as a pharmacologic target for COPD treatment, 
in a point-counterpoint debate about the clinical relevance of chronic bacterial infection in COPD. Next is our critical care content area. Little has been reported about the outcomes of patients with solid tumors who present with septic shock. In this issue, Suenka and colleagues report the findings of a retrospective cohort of 271 patients evaluating independent predictors of 28-day mortality in critically ill adults with solid tumors and septic shock. They found that 84.5% had metastatic disease and the 28-day mortality was 69.4%. Non-survival was associated with metastatic disease, respiratory failure, elevated lactate levels, and an ECOG performance score of three or four. Only 14% of individuals were discharged home without medical assistance. These findings highlight the need for early goals of care discussions for patients with septic shock and metastatic cancer, while identifying predictors of mortality that can help to inform these discussions. Also in this section is a systematic review and meta-analysis that assesses the impact of sample size misestimations on the interpretation of acute respiratory distress syndrome trials and an original research study that performed a global comparison of communication of end-of-life decisions in the intensive care unit. On to our diffuse lung disease content area. The association of BMI and obstructive sleep apnea with the development of sarcoidosis is not known. In this issue, Judson and colleagues evaluated 10,512 patients with sarcoidosis and a BMI value recorded in the 12 months before the sarcoidosis diagnosis in over 2.7 million patients without sarcoidosis. They did not find an association between BMI and the rate of sarcoidosis developing. A diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea was protective against sarcoidosis developing, with a 49% lower odds. These findings suggest an increased BMI is not associated with developing sarcoidosis, and that the presence of obstructive sleep apnea lowers the odds of sarcoidosis developing. Completing this section is a chest review outlining pregnancy considerations for patients with interstitial lung disease. Our education and clinical practice content areas next. The pathophysiology of myalgic encephalitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, is poorly understood. In this issue, Joseph and colleagues explored whether neurovascular dysregulation contributes to exercise intolerance in chronic fatigue syndrome and whether its treatment can improve exercise capacity. In a single-center, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, subjects were randomized to receive oral pyrotostigmine, or placebo, after an invasive cardiopulmonary exercise test. A second invasive cardiopulmonary exercise test was performed 50 minutes later, with the primary endpoint being the difference in peak oxygen uptake. They found that the peak Oxygen uptake increased after pyrotostigmine, but decreased after placebo. 
Cardiac output and right atrial pressure were greater in the treatment group. These results suggest treatment of patients with myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, with pyrrhotostigmine can improve peak oxygen consumption, supporting the premise that neurovascular dysregulation contributes to acute exercise intolerance. Also in this section is an original research article that compares different methods of anaerobic threshold evaluation in heart failure prognostic assessment and an official chest clinical practice guideline on the perioperative management of antithrombotic therapy. Next is our pulmonary vascular content area. Patients who develop venous thromboembolism are at increased risk of major adverse cardiovascular events. It is not known whether anticoagulation for venous thromboembolism influences the risk of a major adverse cardiovascular event. In this issue, Numani and colleagues evaluated findings of 3,790 patients included in a prospective cohort receiving one family of anticoagulation treatment after an acute phase of venous thromboembolism to determine if anticoagulant treatment of venous thromboembolism affects the risk of subsequent major adverse cardiovascular events. Patients treated for 3 to 12 months and those treated greater than 12 months had significantly reduced risk of a major adverse cardiovascular event compared to those treated for 0 to 3 months with hazard ratios of 0.64 and 0.47 respectively. The risk of a major adverse cardiovascular event was lower in those treated with a direct oral anticoagulant than with vitamin K antagonists with a hazard ratio of 0.48. These findings suggest treatment of venous thromboembolism for more than three months, particularly with a direct oral anticoagulant, is associated with a reduced risk of a major adverse cardiovascular event. Completing this section is a chest review about considerations when selecting patient-reported outcome measures for the assessment of health-related quality of life in patients with pulmonary hypertension. Our sleep medicine content area is next. Ambient air pollution can affect the severity of untreated obstructive sleep apnea. It is unknown whether air pollution adversely impacts the effectiveness of positive airway pressure therapy. In this issue, Kenzerska and colleagues report the findings of a retrospective community-based repeated measures longitudinal study of adults with obstructive sleep apnea using data from the daily device-derived residual apnea hypopnea index linked to data from air pollution databases to determine if short-term changes in outdoor air pollution adversely impact adults with obstructive sleep apnea using PAP therapy. 8,448 adults were analyzed with a median of 89 days of observation. An increase in air pollution was found to be associated with a statistically significant increase in the apnea hypopnea index, with the largest effect seen for the air quality health index being just 0.07 per hour. These findings suggest a small but statistically significant increase in residual respiratory events with PAP therapy 
is associated with an increase in air pollution concentrations. Next is our thoracic oncology content area. Real-world data about the risk of drug-related pneumonitis from the treatment of epidermal growth factor receptor mutation positive lung cancers with osimertinib is not available. In this issue, Sato and colleagues report the findings of a retrospective multicenter cohort study of patients treated with osimertinib for advanced stage EGFR mutation positive non-small cell lung cancer designed to determine the prevalence, characteristics, clinical impact, and risk factors for osimertinib-induced drug-related pneumonitis. 452 patients from 18 institutions were included, 80 of whom had a diagnosis of drug-related pneumonitis. 46% of these had a transient asymptomatic pulmonary opacity. CT patterns included organizing pneumonia, pulmonary eosinophilia, hypersensitivity pneumonitis, diffuse alveolar damage, and NSIP. Smoking history was an independent risk factor for developing drug-related pneumonitis, and drug-related pneumonitis was associated with poor treatment efficacy. These results suggest a considerable frequency of drug-related pneumonitis with osimertinib treatment in first-line settings. Also in this section is an original research article that evaluates the impact of preoperative diagnostic bi biopsy on spread-through airspaces and related outcomes in resected stage 1 non-small cell lung cancer, and another that describes the natural history of contralateral bulli or blebs after video-assisted thoracoscopic surgery for primary spontaneous pneumothorax. Finally, I encourage you to take a look at our Humanities and Chess Medicine section, where you will find a case-based discussion about balancing the rights and responsibilities of key stakeholders in addressing reports of disrespect experienced by patients, and an exhalations piece titled Breathing Underwater. Our case series publications for the month provide novel and educational cases to help improve your clinical skills. I hope you enjoy reading all of the high-quality content available in this month's issue of CHEST. As always, I'm grateful to the authors of this work, the reviewers who volunteered their time to improve the quality of these manuscripts, and to our editorial board for guiding everything that we do. Until next month, I hope you enjoy the November issue. Thanks for listening to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights podcast. You can find the articles mentioned in this podcast and more on chessjournal.org. And if you're looking for more context and commentary on articles in the current issue, please check out the original Chess Journal podcast, which features in-depth discussions with the authors themselves. We'll be back again with more Editor's Highlights next month.